Hey, this is Jen Couch, better known as AKA Sober Sis, and welcome to the Zen Mama and Addict Podcast. Hey, Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. What a gift. You're welcome. Yeah. Opportunity. Yeah. We're kind of on opposite ends of this country. I'm in Vermont and you're in Texas. Yeah, that's right. It's hot it, down here. Is it hot down there today in June? Yep, we're almost to the triple triple digits now that the rain monsoon season's over down here. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. Whenever it's winter yeah. here, and I think, oh, I just think I need to be somewhere warmer. Then we have a few like touching ninety days, and I'm like, oh no, I go, I don't think I could do this. <laughs> so it's just oh, a yeah, we'll we'll go days with uh, just hotness. <laughs> Yeah. Demon hot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm just, I feel so, um, like so much gratitude for, um, having connected with you through a friend of mine, Jill Guthrie, who was in your program, which we'll definitely talk a bunch about today. Um, you're the founder and CEO of sober sis, which is, um, touching so many people's lives. Um, and we'll talk, I want to hear so much about it, but I'd love to start with, who you are and a little bit about what got you to the point of starting Sober Sis, which is a sober living community. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, well, again, I'm Jen and I, I like to say I'm a retired gray area drinker. Mm -hmm. I'm a new empty nester and uh, I just turned 50 <laughs> this summer mm -hmm. and I'm telling everybody about it. <laughs> because it's such a big milestone, yeah. but it's also a big part of my story. Um, but let me back it up and just say, um, you know, I know that everyone's road is so unique and so different. And I really respect that and honor that. But I think oftentimes we end up at a place of uh, decision and choice that ends up really changing the trajectory of our life. And, um, for me, just a little bit more about my background and my upbringing and just kind of who I am. Um, I grew up in the panhandle of West Texas mm -hmm. in a relatively small town. I mean, it's kind of the hub city of uh, West Texas, but grew up in just a really great home, loving home. Um, and what was interesting is in high school, you know, I watched people around me drink, but it didn't appeal to me at all. I think some of that was just my personality, as well as, as it not being a real prominent thing in my home growing up. And went on to Texas Tech, went on to, to school and was in a sorority at a state school. Definitely a party scene in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. But again, I think for me, um, you know, I, I had just begun to build some coping mechanisms in my life that didn't have to do with with alcohol. And so for me, I was like, nah, I don't think that really appeals to me because I'm watching other people drink this, you know, elixir and uh, it's not working out that well for them at the frat party or yikes, how are they going to drive home, you know, feeling, feeling that dizzy. And so um, I ended up getting married at around yeah, 24 and then had our kiddos in my twenties. So by the time I thir turned 30, I'd been married with two kids on the ground and it had not become an issue in my life at all. Drinking was not something that I started out with at a young age. And so I was actually a young working mom mm -hmm. when I started socially uh, drinking, partly because that's when also the culture and I think so much of our society really started the push towards moms and moms being able to drink at the end of a long day and the reward of that um, in our society is so glamorized and promoted. And I found myself at a lot of happy hours and networking for the business I was a part of yeah. and started just, uh, just really becoming a social, but yet kind of habitual drinker where it was just an opportunity almost really every night of the week, whether it was a happy hour, networking, date night with my husband, GNO or a book club, yeah. or just at home cooking in my kitchen. Yeah. It was so easy to incorporate. And so 
that's really where I was in my thirties was just navigating that and really trying, honestly, trying to get better at drinking because I was so late to the party. (laughs) Right. It was such a, a, I mean, I think I followed a similar trajectory. I didn't really think about it, but everybody did it when we got together and when my kids were little, I was like, I, I was too tired to think about having a glass of wine that just make me more tired. Right. Yeah. As they begin to get older and then maybe it was the time period we were moving through the 80s and early 90s, but it began to grow. I can totally mirror exactly yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. In our culture, in our yeah. society. And that just like kind of hit me right at the crossroads of also having kids that were starting to get a little bit older and the stresses of life, honestly. It's almost like the heat in my life kind of turned up too with marriage mm-hmm. and business, mm-hmm. kids getting in school also freed up a little bit of that time and a little bit of that bandwidth in the evening to go, Oh, maybe I do need this. Maybe this is going to be my thing. And so that was me in my thirties. And I would, I would start to kind of feel that conviction inside my heart of like, wow, I think I'm really starting to look forward to this more than maybe I should. But even then that was confusing because I knew that my counterparts, my other friends were doing it too. So I was trying to navigate that in my thirties and uh, didn't really feel like it was a problem, but definitely started to feel like, wow, this is starting to really enter into my life as, as kind of this thing, this thing that I'm managing a little bit, trying to moderate. And now I feel like wow, this, this, I can see how this could get out of control. So I'm going to constantly try to kind of reel it in mm-hmm. and, you know, work out and detox during the day, do all these mindful things so that I can relax, kind of retox at night and not feel so bad about it. <laughs> right. So that, that was me. And I think that's a lot of people. I think evidently. a lot of people. Yeah. 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 So it really wasn't until my forties, my first half of my forties that it really started to catch up to me from a mental, emotional, spiritual place. Uh, Fortunately for me, not yet a physical place where I felt like I was becoming physically addicted to the point that I couldn't stop on my own because I could. Um, And I like to say, you know, drinking is a highway and it's really kind of heading in ultimately one direction, but how fast or slow you're going on that highway and how often, you know, you drive your car on that highway uh, depends per person. But for me, I felt like I got an early exit off of that highway Mm. where I could exit off, take take a break. And then taking a break really found that alcohol wasn't serving me at all. And so I decided not to get back on the drinking highway, Mm. but I had the, the, the fortunate, I guess you could say, uh, opportunity to be able just to exit when I wanted to. But the hardest part for me was the mental, emotional um, exit off that highway because I really become to depend on it hmm. as kind of a companion and a friend. Yeah. And the social component of it. Oh, huge. Yeah. In our society to get together with the girls or go out with your man and, you know, kind of hit the town and celebrate. And, and it was so intricately woven in all of my experiences, good and bad, high and low. It, it was just there all the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, to begin a journey of, of health and wellness and, and figuring out for me personally, the alcohol wasn't building the life that I wanted to have. It was actually uh, numbing me out from the life that I had. And I couldn't make the changes in my life. If I was numb in the evenings, I needed to be more present Mm. to make the changes that I wanted. So I could show up at 50 different than Mm. I did 40, which I just did. And I didn't show up at 50 perfect, but I showed up present. Yeah. That's just amazing. Really. Um, And I think so relatable at so many levels for so many people Um, because it does like, I just, as I hear your story unfold, I, I begin to think about the wellness sort of movement that's happening. And if that might be, cause I honestly, I don't know when I just decided, you know, I don't know. I, I same, I will say the same. I would have wine when other people were having wine and then, you know, maybe I'd start to have wine once in a while with dinner or with 
while I was cooking dinner. But for me, it never turned into more than a glass or two occasionally. But I, I think when you make a choice to not do it, it becomes um, socially incredibly challenging. And yeah. also, like I began to notice when I decided I just wasn't going to because it didn't serve me in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, same, same thing, really. But I, I feel like for me, it was really just being incredibly aware of um, how hard I was working to feel well. Yeah, that I was, like all those things like sugar, caffeine, alcohol, like I was just like anti inflammatory. That was more of my drive. But then I began to notice women around me more. I, I began to notice right. more how much people are drinking and not even thinking about it. Well, and the, the thing about alcohol, like any drug is it's it's and again, in our society, we tend to put other drugs in a separate category in alcohol. Like it's like the special shining, you know, golden child that's like, oh, it's great. It's no problem. It's totally fun until it's not. Mm-hmm. It's actually one of the one of the drugs out there that, and I know that's a lot of my listeners and my audience don't, don't hear me talk about alcohol very often as a drug, but that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And in our society, it's so glamorized. And again, um, it's, it's one of the drugs that takes the longest to get addicted to because chronologically speaking, scientifically speaking, the, uh, the association from the relief and release and fun part of alcohol is so far away from the anxiety, the depression, and the restlessness that comes after the alcohol wears off. Our subconscious mind doesn't equate the two. So it's easy to go, oh, drinking's fun. Drinking relaxes me. Drinking makes me feel better when really it's, it's often the culprit to making us want to drink in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so to spin out of that cycle is, is where so much of the work became fascinating for me because I thought I was just broken. I thought I was just yeah. had, had a hard time with an off switch because for me, I didn't stop at that one or two glasses. I would keep going and would drink more than I really wanted to or intended to because I was chasing that feeling that, that elusive evasive, invisible feeling of release and relaxation and anxiety. A lot of times anxiety relief, which was actually produced by the alcohol I was drinking. And to put that two and two together was so enlightening for me and so much of the work that I get excited about sharing with others. But then I understood, oh, Jen, that's why you can be so mindful by day and you can get in that, you know, detox, just a retox loop by night. Mm. And if you open a bottle of wine, you're probably going to drink it all. Mm. Wow. How did that happen to go from a young person that didn't drink at all to just a social drinker in my thirties to really in my forties, being able to build such a tolerance that I also built dependency where I could easily plow through a bottle of wine several nights a week and, mm-hmm. and completely get back to my yoga that morning, right? get everywhere I needed to go. And uh, that's part of what made it confusing. So are you saying that um, you're, do you think the qua- quali- quantity of um, um, wine you were consuming grew because you couldn't reach that? It was harder and harder to reach that yeah, chilling out phase, we'll say, right? Exactly. I'm all being right in the world and I'm floating a little bit here. Okay, that exactly. makes exactly because one glass used to do that for me yeah. initially, but because I kept drinking more often than not, it was not a every once in a while thing for me. It was, well, it's Tuesday night. What's on the docket tonight? Oh, okay, that party or that networking event, or again, just cooking spaghetti in my kitchen. So I started ingraining that pattern of uh, reward and I I mentally looked at it that way. I kind of um, emotionally looked at it that way, but it turns out physically my body was also looking at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I had to drink more to get the same effect. Okay. And so I'm curious at that point that the shift happened. Yeah. Well, it was right before I turned 46. So I was literally 45 years old, right smack dab in the middle of my 40s. My kiddos were starting to kind of hit those upper teenage years. My daughter, my oldest, our oldest was uh, turning 18 when I was turning 45. Um, And you can backtrack the numbers there and see that she was turning 13 when I was turning 40. (laughs) Ah, Well, that makes total sense. 
if you're a mom out there, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that, totally. that was when kind of some of that um, teenage angst and the attitude and, and me going, wait, I thought you thought I was awesome. Right. Oh, you're rejecting me now, which is totally normal. But it was in those years that I felt myself kind of get lost and kind of play small sure. a little bit in my own life. And so there she was, 18, graduating high school. There I was. 45, kind of graduating myself out of those teenage years Mm -hmm. um, with her and thought, you know, this is a real opportunity to kind of change my life. I don't really like the way it's going. I felt overwhelmed, Mm. uh, overweight, (laughs) over, just kind of over it. I was over the drinking thing, but didn't know how to change the habit in my life, but I felt like it was weighing me down. Mm. And so that's when I began, uh, really, I call it a a God thing. I really began to uh, find things in my path that I had not seen before, podcasts, books, some other coaches and mentors out there who were ahead of me in this journey. Mm. Really, I just started kind of catching on to some new language that really started resonating with me, like sober-minded versus sobriety. Because I didn't know if I wanted to never be a drinker again. I just knew I needed to kind of get more of a control, more of a grip on it. Yeah. I wanted to not want it so bad, Mm. honestly. Mm. I just wanted to not want it so bad. And I felt like that would be authentic freedom was just to be more in alignment. If I want it, have it. If I don't want it, don't have it. Right. That mental tug of war, if I don't really want it, but I kind of do and I am. (laughs) that is what was exhausting. So I wanted to get more in alignment. So I set out on this four-year journey uh, that I'm still on just because I've hit a huge milestone doesn't mean I'm not on the journey anymore, but I really started setting my eyes on, uh, on starting this new decade, feeling wholehearted and more present and just more in alignment with who I really am. I love that. And that's been the work for me. Yeah. Well, you know, I talk a lot in my coaching and just in my journey, like about standing in my truth and authenticity. And, you know, as I started to explore that, I was like, well, what is that anyway? You know, because sometimes, you know, we can get so caught up in all the externalness, you know, that feeds into anything we use to numb a little bit. And you kind of lose yourself, especially, you know, similar journey, raising kids and, you know, yeah. kind of come up for air in your forties and you're like, who am I? What do I like? Exactly to how I felt. Yeah. And um, just to know though, that you, I mean, it, I'm just always curious about that turning point because there has to be a level of awareness, some space between it and you for you to have seen, or even take a moment enough to, to feel, I mean, cause you got like intellectually, you were getting all the information, right? Learn, yeah. right. And you are becoming aware of this thing that everyone around you and your social circles did. It must be okay. Why does it not feel okay to me? Right. Right. Yeah. And you, you know, I'm just curious, like about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I was the challenging part about being in this gray area drinking zone is things aren't bad enough externally to force you to have to change. Um, I didn't get a DUI. I didn't hit a rock bottom. I wasn't in trouble anywhere. I hadn't lost anything, which certainly, you know, again, staying on the drinking highway years down the road, I'm not saying that would have happened to me, but sure could have, because I think it can happen to anyone. (laughs) I really do. Yeah. Um, I don't think that, um, Yeah, it's, it's just, it can happen. So I think for me, I was tuning into the fact that I was so uncomfortable living in that status quo minutiae of being in the middle of, it's almost like I was in that lukewarm, not hot, not cold. It's almost like, you know, when you order a, a soup or you want a hot coffee and it's just not really hot, but it's also not really iced or cold either. Cause that would be okay. Yeah. It's just nowhere. That's where I felt like I was spiritually, mentally, emotionally, just kind of swirling around in this lukewarm, not really effective. And that was so personally, that was so uncomfortable for me. Okay that I was like, you know what, even if I change it up and I break out of my own status quo, that's going to be uncomfortable too. But I'm finally sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of that uncomfortable feeling going nowhere. That if I have to break out of this uncomfortable feeling and be uncomfortable in another way, 
like maybe socially not holding a drink of alcohol in my hand. Well, that's uncomfortable too, but at least I'm going somewhere. Yeah. I'm moving. I'm moving forward towards who I really want to be yeah. versus in the rat race of, you know, drink, hangover, rinse, repeat, do it again. Yeah. I was living in Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> Total Groundhog Day. Yeah. Well, I just thank you for sharing that because um, it's just a model of someone stepping in, leaning into the discomfort, which, yeah. right, we just want to push away, but, you know, and being vulnerable and yeah. And I knew it was going to be hard and it was, it, it was, was initially, um, very difficult the first weeks, if not months, really my first year to kind of pursue this. I didn't even know if I would be alcohol free. I just knew every time I made a choice to not drink, I never regretted it. Mm. I always knew every time I chose to stay sober minded and present versus numbing out, checking out, or just reaching for that drink in a social setting to ease my discomfort. If I would just breathe it out, use some of my breathing techniques and just ground myself and just play the movie forward and know that in two to three hours from then, I would have, if I started drinking, would have had several drinks, then I would have slept bad. And I would just play that movie forward. And I kept getting through those times. And instead of just surviving those times, I started thriving. Mm. Oh, I can do this. I actually feel empowered now. Yeah. Such a process. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious during that time of that process, like what practices did you bring in your life to support your resiliency and sustain this change? Yeah, for sure. Well, a lot of it started out with just changing my mindset. Mm. Um, I started finding some, there's just so many resources and tools out yeah. there, which really when I first started SoberSys, that's what I was wanting to do was bring all those tools together and what helped me okay. kind of curating the best of what I had found mm. before I really got my voice in helping other women. I was just so excited to go, Hey, have you heard, have you listened or do you know this about your mind? So yes. for me, I, I kind of needed to start intellectually. Honestly, that was the missing piece for me. Um, spiritually, I felt like, you know, as a Christian, I'm, I'm, having this relationship with God, we're talking about it, not audibly, but you know, I'd be on the back porch, drinking my wine, asking him to take it away, <laughs> take this desire away or give me a refill. <laughs> Just, I couldn't decide which one, right. um, but intellectually from a scientific point of view and even understanding the mindset. So that was one of the first tools that helped me the most was even what I just mentioned to you about our subconscious mind. Yeah, I didn't know what I was up against when I was dealing with cravings. I just thought willpower, Jen, you, you know, in the past, I tried just white knuckling it, willpower, deprivation mindset. And I started learning the tools like, look at what you're gaining, not what you're losing. Nice. Yeah. I did start working more on uh, breathing and that kind of moving meditation, uh, I call it prayer, but I also think just moving meditation of just being really present where you are and checking in with yourself. Mm -hmm. I started doing a little bit more inventory, like, how are you feeling right now, Jen? Are you hungry? Are you angry? Mm -hmm. Are you tired? Mm -hmm. Are you lonely? What do you need right now? Because the solution isn't a glass of Pinot Grigio. <laughs> if you're, if you're hungry, eat something. Yeah. If you're lonely, reach out and get connection. And that was another thing that really helped me, um, early on, but I also struggled to find was good connection. Mm -hmm. Um, I really needed more support. Um, and I found that at first difficult to find what I personally was looking for, which was a real relational aspect to walking this out with other people. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's a big component of sober system. What I really tried to create is more of a sisterhood, mm. more of a tribe of women from all over the world that that have real relationships. Um, and I think that's where so much of the transformation is through just talking it out with other people yeah. and processing without labels, shame, judgment, just people yeah. that get it. I love that, you know, the power of our stories to share and walk out from behind our shame and be vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. Cause we're on that path. That's just so beautiful. And all those practices, um, 
I mean, that right there, I, um, I think is pretty profound what you just shared about pausing in a mindful way and just saying, what do I need instead of doing the habit? Um, and which honestly, like there's, there's a lot of scientific um, studies that are being done around any kind of um, craving or, or um, habit that we have when we want to change behavior, if we can pause and, and what I love that you did was you didn't just pause and be aware of what you're doing. You paused in that this is an expression of self-love. You came into yourself and you said, what do I need? And how right. often do we do that as women in particular? You know, yes. it makes me my it makes me want to cry just saying it. That's how yeah, like yeah. that we yeah, get yeah. so far away from that. And in the end, it is hard work, but it's kind of simple when you get yeah, down it to really it. It is simple. It's not yeah. always easy, but it is simple. And practicing real self-care. Um yeah. society and all the marketing and messaging, kind of the rose all day t-shirts and memes and Mother's Day. I mean, we just recently had Mother's Day. And if you go in any grocery store or place, it's all about the wine and the champagne. And really I think that takes a a presence away from someone. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote a lot about that this Mother's Day and even last about how, you know, the gift that we give to the world is our presence. And I was not even giving that gift to myself. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even be mm -hmm. present sometimes with myself mm -hmm. and yeah. learning how to do that in a compassionate way that uh, I didn't need to beat myself up if I had slipped or made a mistake or have such a high, high standard of perfection. Yeah. I don't know if anyone out there is listening, but if you're a recovering perfectionist or people pleaser, mm -hmm. I'm your, I'm your girl. Uh, because I was both of those and I had empathy for everybody else. I had free passes for everybody else. Mm -hmm. I was never going to let anyone else down. Mm -hmm. Nope. Not on my watch. I got well, kind of, if I can, because I didn't have my own back a lot of times. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it seems so clear when you sit here and say it. I mean, what you just yeah. shared, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, 90% of the people listening probably yeah, have experienced sure. that. That's what we do. And it's, I'm just, I'm so um, glad that we're able to hold conversations and call it out. And so that we can even think about doing it differently. This, this concept of, of self-care, which gosh, you know, it's crazy that we kind of forgot about ourselves. It's like, we've been functioning from the neck up in yeah. a very, you know, external way. Um, and a lot of us, I mean, myself included, built my life around what I thought the expectations of the world around me needed just to get there and be like, oh my gosh, this is not happiness. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I have all the ingredients. Yeah. What happened? Um, yeah. Recipe is, is, needs to change a little bit. And for me, that was bringing mindfulness into my life and, and having life not just be a checklist of things to do, but actually experiencing life. Right. Yeah, I love that. Similar. So, um, so can you, I, I want to know a little more, share a little more about your, your program, because, you know, there's a lot out there. There's AA, there's lots of spiritually based recovery programs, but yours sits different. I feel like it's like almost a sexy sobriety. That's kind of, yeah. That well, like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you want to make it really cool and kind of, yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, you know, I, when I was first wanting to change my relationship with alcohol, I guess I was looking for someone kind of like me. Um, and again, not just externally like me, I'm, I'm all, I, I don't want to find somebody exactly like me, but just in that life stage, yeah. in that place, whether that's even being a young mom and going back to that part of me that wished I would have known then in my young thirties, what I know now, or just reach out to, uh, to women that feel like, oh man, if I change this part of me, what am I going to lose? My social connection, uh, my my, the way I relate with my husband or the people around me, he's my drinking buddy. What, what if I change this? Yeah. Will I have fun? Will I still be me? Mm -hmm. And I like to kind of push back against that and go, actually, yes, you're going to be really cool, really fun. And more you, mm -hmm. more you than ever, because that's who you really are. Yeah. Alcohol, you know, kind of hijacks our nests. And when I say Ness, we have a joke around my house, your Jen Ness, like it's your thing. It's yeah. your uniqueness that you bring into the world. And mine kind of had a blanket on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, that silly side of me, that authentic, genuine side of me, 
the drinking kind of covered up in an effort to play it safe, fit in, not get my feelings hurt. It just was like a blanket and it was kind of a security blanket. And so I think when women take that blanket off, it's really scary. And so I like to make it where it's really positive and joyful and empowering. And so um, I think that is what kind of sets Sobersys apart is not only the way that we view connection as being so central to, uh, to changing not only this habit, but really feeling the need to not need to numb out because we're creating the life that we want to have versus the life we're numbing out from that we're just in. Mm -hmm. We're not like just in it. <laughs> we get to design it mm -hmm. with our choices. Yeah. And, um, and I do think that kind of the message of, uh, you know, progress over perfection and it doesn't have to be all black and white. Um, when women come into sober sis, we really kind of have the mentality at the beginning um, and all the way through that is always your choice. And um, because I am working with women that are starting to just kind of see those red flags, but can make that highway exit, if you will. Yeah. Um, it's really more about, you know, progress over perfection means maybe you don't have to decide right now if you're never going to drink again, maybe just drinking less mm -hmm. is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. And I think that having that door wide open for women to go, you know what, I think I just need to hit the reset button. Yeah. And in doing so, just giving yourself the gift of uh, like a 21 day challenge. That's the first thing I lead off with. Even in that 21 days of just challenging yourself to get off of autopilot lends women the opportunity to get some of these new tools, the science behind it, start to make real connections. So a lot of that shame and isolation mm -hmm. begins to lift and go away in 21 days. 21 days is just the beginning of anything. Right. But I find it's a good starting point, whereas some programs, you mentioned AA and others, start with the stop you know, it's like, that's where they begin is stopping completely. And for some people that is the answer and they need to at that time because it's life or death. Yeah. And it is to that point where the, the choices, choice has kind of gone right then to decide when the time is now. Yeah. But for a lot of women that I'm working with, it's kind of like, wow, just tapping the brakes and pulling off will give you the time you need to see if you even want to get back on. Yeah. It feels like such a safe step in, you know, putting your toes yeah. in the water kind of thing. Yeah. And I love how you connect. Um, you use like a video app to connect uh, women together. Is that yes. right? We yeah. do. We use an app called Marco Polo. Yeah. Um, kind of like our 80s pool game. <laughs> Marco yeah. Polo. But this is great because women are able to show uh, a video or just just their voice, but a lot of women just kind of start to get used to being seen in such a safe way. Yeah. And the connection there has been life altering for so many hundreds, if now not thousands of women in our community have used this. And it's the perfect solution when it's wine o'clock time and you're struggling and you're alone or just you've got, you know, kiddos running around. No one seems to care or notice if you're going to drink or not, but you're battling inside to be able to reach out to someone else who's just trying to make a different choice yeah. is so empowering. Yeah. So yeah, it's huge. I love, I love that app and um, I use it with some friends of mine, but nice. I also love that, you know, sometimes rather than keeping, I can imagine it's powerful in that rather than keeping that inside in the little monkey mind yeah. going in your head, you speak it. And right. When we speak our truth, it, it loses power right? That's so true. Yeah. yeah. So I can just see multiple levels. Plus that gives access to people all over the world, as you said. Truly. I mean, I have women in Australia, Canada, all over the United States, all on this app together and uh, the different accents and the different yeah. even societal norms, even from state to state in the United States mm -hmm. is quite different. And so that brings this level of like, oh, wow, we're so similar, but yet that's a different challenge. How are you doing that? Yeah. And uh, it actually makes looking at one's relationship with drinking um, something that you can really look forward, dare I say, to working on versus I think so often in our society, looking at changing such a socially acceptable habit, 
we only see the downside of the negatives or it's almost like, wow, you reached the end of the line. Uh, you I can't know. drink anymore. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. And it's this Debbie Downer punishment yeah. kind of vibe or fear. And our group is all about, you know, joy and yeah, it's hard work, but sure is easier when you're doing it with other people that yeah. are rooting for you. Yeah. And just, it normalizes it. And I also think, isn't it beautiful that something we, that we might consider a real struggle in life ends up connecting us in a really powerful way. Right. Right. It's such a common thing yeah. among women. Um, and, and two, you know, for your listener, whether you're out there drinking one glass a night and that's making you feel enslaved to it, or like, why am I drinking even this? Or you're out there and you've opened the second bottle in a night and you're like, wow, if I keep on keeping on, where does it end? It's all about meeting people where they are. It doesn't have to look a certain way. It's when we're in that uncomfortable part of ourselves that we know we're not in alignment or we're living in that detox, just a retox loop. And it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. That's the woman I really want to reach out to and say, Hey, it doesn't really matter how much you're drinking or what you're experiencing. If you're unhappy with your drinking, if you know something uh, isn't serving you. You don't have to wait for something to happen. You don't have to wait for it to kind of get worse before you get better. Mm-hmm. You can actually make that choice at any point in time on this drinking spectrum. You can, it, there's never, it's never too early mm-hmm. and it's never too late to change your relationship with, with alcohol mm-hmm. and be able to do that. Yeah. I love that. Your energy behind it all is so upbeat. I mean, it's like, you almost want to belong to your club. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's really great. And I just also was um thinking about the we were talking about the power of connection. And um yeah, I just can't I can imagine one of the biggest struggles is that when we choose not to drink and we're in a social setting, other people feel like they're getting called out or criticized sometimes. Right. right? right. You know, and I found myself kind of going along sometimes just to, just to not make other people uncomfortable because right. they are drinking. Right. So that's, right. that's one of the things, but I also noticed one of the things you have on your site are these really nice mocktails. Like you sort oh, of, yeah, yeah. You recreate these beautiful drinks, right. So you can maybe still socially, well, tell me a little bit about that part of yeah. it. Yeah. For sure. That was actually initially also one of the tools in my sober-minded toolbox that helped me the most, um, especially early on, um, was to have different alternatives and options. You know, I was so afraid, truly afraid that if I didn't drink alcohol, that I would be socially awkward, not sure how to fit in. And what I found is all these alcohol-free options Um, whether it's a mocktail that kind of resembles a drink or just a completely new drink. Um, There's so many on the market now that are in and of themselves, just zero proof cocktails that are their own. And all these NA beers, I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I'd heard of like Odules and like Beck's, but now there's all these little craft um, alcohol-free, um, companies popping up everywhere. And I love supporting them because I think it is important because really what I have found is people don't really care what's in your glass or what's in your can. As long as you're content and you're happy and you're doing what you're doing and they can do what they want to do, uh, which is definitely the vibe I want to give off when I get in a crowd, even as, you know, AKA sober sis. Now, most of my friends know that this is what I'm doing full time. Um, and, and they still drink around me. Most of my friends drink. My husband still drinks. I've got adult kids that drink. So I've got people all around me drinking. And Mary, you mentioned something earlier about just being that you don't want to be that person that draws attention to someone else's drinking, but you also don't want to have to change who you are in a situation to make someone else feel comfortable. Again, I think that's part of me, you know, turning 50 is having like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But um, because I definitely don't want to judge anyone else for their choices, but want to feel free to make my own. So I have found that having alternatives is kind of a BYOB situation. 
you know, I just can bring my own beverage yeah. and, and have my own choice. And when I can't bring my own, I, I found kind of menu hacks and things to order that are fun for me, Good. or I just enjoy my water because I'm enjoying my food so much. I really don't want to cloud it with a bunch of sugar or fruity taste mm-hmm. when really now that I'm not going for the buzz of the alcohol, I'm really about more of the food, more of the ambiance, more of the people nice. that I'm with. And when I was drinking, I felt like I was all about what drinks we were having. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You like turn up the intensity of all the gifts that are already in yeah, There's so many other things around yeah. to yeah. enjoy. And again, whatever works for, for people, you know, I work with some women who are like, I just don't think I'm ready for a mocktail. I don't want to drink out of a wine glass, something that looks like wine and that's okay. I think it's to each their own It's there's no right or wrong way mm-hmm. to do that. But I personally found it nice to have options and, um, still kind of create a reward, but just change what the reward was. Yeah. So much mindset stuff. It feels like, um, Oh, for sure. That I hear That's you. Say. Yeah. Because there's so many, I mean, even like I am a, not a meat eater. Right. And so yeah. even in that it's kind of the same often, you know, people are getting more used to it. It's becoming more mainstream, but you know, that also is a tough, you know, whenever you're doing anything that's not normal, it's I think not in the mainstream. Yeah. As we get older, though, I think we get a little more empowered to be to have that self-talk to say, well, I'm going to yeah. do, I, you know, I'm working hard here and I, I'm going to stay true to myself. But I think the uh, surrounding ourselves with like minded community, it's so important. So yeah. you've created that. It seems like it's now when did you start Sober Sis? Yeah, um, I really kind of launched it February of 2018. Okay. And started out, I mean, so small. Yeah. So almost like kind of a hobby or a ministry or something that I was just kind of going to share with my local friends. Yeah. And then I started realizing, oh, this is, this is big. This is bigger than just my local friends. I just started an Instagram. I'm at SoberSys. And I started that in the spring of 2018 as well. And just started kind of putting some sparkling waters on my patio and taking a photo and saying, what are y'all drinking tonight when you're not drinking alcohol? And, mm. and just um, kind of put myself out there. And I, I started feeling like other women were resonating with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been quite a journey since then. I know now our group has grown a, a lot since then, but just kind of day by day, just plowing, plowing that field and planting those seeds. Yeah. Well, and now you have like multiple programs and resources on your site. You have the 21 day reset and then people can become, I don't know. My friend Jill said she did, she's done the 21 day reset a couple of times. Now she helps support other women through this. I mean, I love that program after the 21 day reset, which is just such a great follow-up because the, the 21 day reset is just enough uh, new information to get off of autopilot, get kind of out of the out of the habit loop. But then if you really want to grow into more of maybe why we were drinking in the first place or some more coping strategies for how to feel the feels and handle obstacles mm-hmm. and what is self-care. Mm-hmm. So after the 21 day reset, I have a 10 week online course that I wrote called the alcohol-free lifestyle course. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not about saying never or forever, but it's giving women more time to practice alcohol-free living with support. Okay. And it's that 21 days that can break or change a habit, but more like 90 days plus to create a new lifestyle. So that's what that lifestyle course is. And that's where I do most of my small group coaching. Um, And that's where I've gotten to know Jill as well. And then she's graduated on from that and um, has gone on to help new gals who are in our tribe that are just at that first part of the journey with the 21 day reset, these AFL grads and some women that have gone on to what now I call project 365. I take women through their first year of alcohol-free living, celebrating all the first, their first vacation, their first wedding to attend, um, the first time they got on the boat this summer and what did they put in their cooler? Mm. Let's talk about it. Let's, mm. let's work through that. And um, the holidays, you know, they'll be here before we know it. Now it looks like we may have a normal holiday situation. Right. 
So, you know, helping women navigate those first. So it goes 2190, and, and onward. Yeah, that's so great because what I know from my journey with addiction um, is that it's about a habit change anyway. Um, and I know our words are not, are clashing a little bit, but we are on Zen mom in the addict. And so that's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to yeah, refer yeah. to. Um, sure. And in the recovery programs, the traditional recovery programs are two weeks, maybe a month, maybe 28 days. Right. But then that's when people get lost is when they leave. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I love to see women do the 21 day reset And for some, for a handful, they're going to take what they need, leave the rest. And that's what they needed. They just wanted to drink less. And I do see that as a huge win. But for the majority of women who do end up finding sober cysts, they really want something else. They don't want to just keep managing alcohol and keep moderating something that's causing a thirst for itself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're really looking for real freedom away from that. And so many do keep, keep on journeying with me and so many others. So that community feeling keeps going. Yeah. I love that. And I love that people want to be the most beautiful versions of themselves, you know, and I I love that once they feel, I mean, I think you do need to feel that and not to over (laughs) speak for Jill, because I have a session with her too, but she said, you know, she's a runner and she was still running and having her little bit of cocktails here and there. And then suddenly she's like, wow, running's a whole lot easier. (laughs) <laughs> right. You know, right. it's, it's kind of like I work in medicine. I kind of like uh, equate it to someone having like a clogged artery and then you open it and they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize how I didn't even it. know. Yeah. 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 Settle for yeah. so much that we don't realize we don't have to settle for. Yeah. I just, I started getting used to it. I thought, well, this is what being in your forties is like. You're just exhausted all the time. You wake up most nights at 3 a.m. You kind yeah. of work it out or work it off until noon. You kind of feel sluggish and then you kind of catch your second wind and then you kind of do it again. Yeah. I know. I mean, wow. I, really I mean, I have to, to that. <laughs> also, I think when people get to, women get to our age, like we got the whole hot flash thing happening. Yeah, yeah. I knew if I even had like a quarter of a glass of red wine with dinner, I was going to be having hot flashes, you know, and how many times did I do that before? I'm like, why am I having that little bit of wine? Like, well, <laughs> don't do it, you yeah. know, but it's so, so interesting us human beings. <laughs> oh, I know. Aren't we interesting? I know. So interesting. Why do we do the very things that we really don't want to do or don't serve us, but understanding why we do has helped. And I think our bodies are incredibly wise and they really try to direct They're us. They're trying. <laughs> If they don't, then, you know, if we don't listen at some point, we're going to really regret it. So that's when all the like comorbidities kick in. So yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Get in front of it. This is like a preventative health. Um, Absolutely. We're trying to get ahead of it yeah. so that you're, you're not in that point where it's like, wow, I'm at the, I'm at the end of the line. Now, what do I do instead? Yeah. It's like, huh, I can be mindful. I have a choice here. I feel empowered to do that. And yeah. I still can that's wonderful. The other thing I'm really, um, I'd love to have you share is at some point. So I love like you've, you know, you've been on your journey, you've had your turning point, you've taken what you've learned and you've just shined your light out to share with others. So in service. So thank you. And also like, I imagine at some point you had other work you did and then, and now you do this full time. This is your, yeah. So what was that? I was just curious as a lot of you know, women or people listening are kind of, they have their like sort of heart centered work, their side hustles, let's say. And at some point you're trying to toggle it all. And like, what was your jumping out point off point? And, and did it feel safe or did you like, was it a vulnerability hack or (laughs) or tell me what that was like? Oh, that's a great question because now I am, you know, running a business and leading a team of people and in in a leadership role, which again, I can see how God prepared my life all along, all the 50 years (laughs) to get here with all the uh, smaller things and the little experiences that he gave me, I feel like to prepare me for now, all those gifts and struggles of leadership and ministry and doing different things um, and being an entrepreneur. I um, am a third generation entrepreneur and I married someone who's also a visionary okay. and very uh, 
let's just go for it. We, mm -hmm. he owns, we own together, but he, he runs several companies. And so okay. it, it felt natural for us to see an opportunity and think, how can we scale this to the point that it can really make an impact mm -hmm. and really influence um, a lot of people. Yeah. And my sweet husband, his name is Craig. We're like Jenny Craig. Um, my, my hubby looked at me that summer, that summer of 2018. And he said, um, do you want to go for it? Do you want to make this your thing? Because if you want to make it your thing, Jen, I'll help you. I'll clear the way. We'll invest financially heavily. And we have in business coaching and hiring the right people to work with us okay. to build this. He said, if you, if you want to do this, if you feel like this is your passion, your life calling, your God-given assignment in this world, if you want to do this, I'll back you, I'm behind you, and my goal will be to make your voice louder yeah. and more heard. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't take that for granted. And yeah. so to have a, a spouse and a partner that's so supportive even though our drinking journeys have been very different. Mm -hmm. um, and he is still a drinker and at times was my biggest trigger. And, you know, I have all kinds of um, experience in what it's like when your spouse is your drinking buddy. So interesting that that's also a part of my story, but also how that's okay. And he's also become my biggest supporter and fan in sober sis. Mm. So that was, that was crucial. And, um, that's when I, that was a turning point for me where I decided, okay, some of the other, other side hustles that I'm doing, I was real involved in an essential oil company and, you know, had done other things that I was excited about, but it wasn't my life calling. Yeah. Wasn't my, I don't know, assignment. That's not the only way I know how to describe what I'm doing. Yeah. I say, yeah, I feel <laughs> equipped to do what I'm doing because I feel like I'm called to do it. I'm assigned to do it. This is what I'm meant to do versus it just being my bright idea. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not my idea in the sense that I felt so much shame around my drinking for so long. The thought of coming out, so to speak, as sober, sis. Yeah, I was going to say, was there? Been, yeah, yeah was, that was huge for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, being uh being a person of faith being in a church community where alcohol was kind of hush hush stigmatized stereotyped we don't talk about that unless you're a full-blown alcoholic then you just need to wear that label and go to a meeting mm -hmm. when you're like me in leadership and a mom and not knowing how to own my own struggle with alcohol but without necessarily the label of being an alcoholic not fitting it left me silent and it left me stuck. Mm. And so that was the woman that I thought, you know what, if I'll speak out, maybe God could use my voice to reach someone else who mm. is in the crosshairs of not being an alcoholic, not quite quote qualifying, if you will, for a you know, medical detox or a rehab program that was too far for me down the line. Um, at the point where I was ready to make a change, I thought if I'll speak up and speak out, then I'm offering hope and resource to someone who is being underserved and not seen. Mm -hmm. And that was the leap point for me, uh, vulnerability wise, where I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going out there. <laughs> People may misunderstand me. They yeah. may label me. Yeah. They may think I had a worse problem than I did. They may think, oh, I didn't even know Jen Couch had a problem. Wow. She, I, I felt, I felt insecure as a mom. Will other moms think that I was this big lush at home drinking throughout the day when I wasn't, I was your person that was waiting till five o'clock or just having lunch with friends. And all of my friends were drinking yeah. uh, church or not church friends, um, you know, and so for me, that's where I, that's where I felt the most vulnerability was attaching alcohol and a struggle with it or an unhealthy relationship with it to my name. Mm -hmm. Well, that was reputation. I mean, that's that's a warrior work right there. Yeah. And I was like, I got to do it. I yeah, to do it. I must do it that's because cool. if I don't do it, there's someone else like me mm -hmm. that loves God loves their family is a great mom. They're doing their best. They're up against this wine, witch, and they don't know why they're struggling and they're alone and they're isolated and they're sad and they're 
also happy that they fit in, but they know there's something more. I got to go, I got to go out there and, and find her. Wow. And I think, uh, you found a lot of them. I found a lot of them. <laughs> and yeah. I think, you know, as you grow, I mean, that's why you're, you're growing and growing and growing because, you know, you've, um, you know, you found a gap and, yeah. you know, and I, I know it's a hard journey. I don't know about you though, but as hard as a journey is when I have clarity, then I'm just so thankful for clarity. Yes. Right. It's hard to be in a place of what am I supposed to be doing? Right. I have a clear mission. Yeah. I have a clear purpose. Now I'm not always sure how I'm going to get from the next A to B, but I know where I'm going. I know what I want to do and I know why I'm doing it. Yeah. So when I do face obstacles, setbacks, um, I just look at it as feedback. It's what I teach the women I work with. It's not a setback, it's just feedback. And I do it all the time in business and all the time with the structuring of our community. If something's not working, I can pivot, I can change. It's just feedback. It's not a failure. It doesn't mean something's not working. If I try something in one of my programs and I get the memo that that wasn't as effective as I wanted it to be, I can change. Yeah, I love that. Well, I think that flexibility is like part of being successful I also um, think there's this um, synchronicity, like when you were in, when you knew you were on this path, when you started to unfold Sober Sis, did it all just unfold like it was meant to be? I have a feeling that that might've happened because it, were, it has, I mean, yeah. I mean, not that there aren't struggles, but I mean, you were, sure. I kind of look at it like my podcast, like I'm, I'm not sure I really wanted this to be what I was doing, but I felt like it was my calling and I love doing it now. Yeah. But yeah. And then people just started coming to me. I was like, I don't know how, you know, and then people just showed up. So I'm just, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like yes. things like that, like the people to work with and how yes. to, I, I have a feeling you experienced this or have at times. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. I see that we've had uh, just a lot of favor. You know, there's just, you know, balls can kind of bounce my way. And I just, I, I feel like when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you have the right heart and the right motive in, in doing it, um, even as imperfect as I am, mm-hmm. um, when you have the right motive and you have the right reason, um, I think, you know, the universe, our creator, you know, rewards that mm-hmm. and uh, will protect it and guard it because again, from my perspective, this is not even my work. It transcends anything I can do by myself. It's it's bigger than that. And because it transcends just my own contribution, it's a bigger contribution. I think God just wants to use me and I'm available. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. Uh, I say yes. And uh, I'll let you put me where you want to put me. Put me in coach. I'm ready to play. Uh-huh. You know, take me off the bench, put me in the eye, but I don't really know how to run these plays. And I don't really know this game. I don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. but I'll trust you to show me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And just you say to run that way, do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. And there's Thank freedom you for- in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's important that people hear that. And, you know, sometimes, like I say, grace shows up at times when I least expect it. And usually when I think I'm moving things or holding things up. Right. And then I, (laughs) and I forget, I just forget to ask sometimes for some help. And that's the other. Yeah. 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 So uh, this is such a a joy to talk to you. And I think um, you've shared a couple of your offerings. Is there anything else that you would like people to know about? Yeah. You know, really a great thing that I'd love to offer your listeners or anyone that's listening, who's not downloaded my free guide you don't even have to jump in uh, with the 21 day reset. I'd just love to share my top five, I guess you could call them tips and tricks for even getting through one evening or one event. Um, What are some of the things you asked me earlier in our uh, conversation? What has worked for me? I've actually put that in a list of like how to surf the urge, how to play the movie forward, how to find good alternatives. And so if women want to go to sobersys.com, that's where they can download my free guide. And then you'll hear more about the 21 day reset and you can join from that free guide, kind of launch off or just get on my email list. Cause I love to build relationship yeah. with people. I've enjoyed, I got on your email list and I, oh, enjoyed, yeah. And it, it's nice just to see you there. And yeah, it's also, as I said, so relatable, I think. And yeah, I try to send out just these daily little nuggets. Yeah. Um, 
for just support and just a new way of looking at things. So I invite people to, to download that free guide, get on my email list. And then at the beginning of every month is when I start a new 21 day reset. All right. So, okay. So every month reset months, I do something called the runway right now where women can go on, get on a weekly zoom call with me so oh. that they feel kind of tethered in between. But yeah, the first of every month I start a new group because I do find starting a group together kind of creates a synergy and a momentum and a real energy. Yeah. All right. So that would be July 1st would be your next. Yeah. The next, the next okay. one coming up when we're recording is dry July. I mean, we do dry <laughs> January. Why not dry July? Yeah. And uh, last, last year was one of our biggest months. So I'm looking forward to helping women right smack dab in the middle of summer. Yeah. That yeah. sounds great. I have to believe with COVID and all that we've been through this year, that a lot yeah. more people looking for a reset. Yeah, just need to reel it in and yeah. get, make some healthier choices, get some new habits. Yeah, that's for sure. Summer's a great time to do it. You know, I think I, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, and there might so be many wonderful drinks out there that we can be enjoying by the pool and taking on the boat and going to live music and patios. There's so many reasons to get out there and drink wonderful refreshing beverages that you don't have to have a regret yeah. about at the yeah. end. So. Yeah. And help you get in the, the summer wear. <laughs> oh yeah. That too. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Jen, I can't thank you enough. I always like to um, ask my guests if there's like a piece, a nugget of wisdom, if you had one thing that you would like to leave everyone with, they've given us so much to think about and consider and relate to, but if you had any little parting wisdom that you would want to share with people, what might that be? Yeah. Well, just off the top of my head, I just think, you know, anytime you get that little, that little gut check, that little voice inside, that little whisper that says, you know, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's another way. Just give it a try. I think so often we're afraid of failure, especially in this area, in this department, because we've tried so many times on our own by ourselves to change this habit, this, uh, this addictive habit, this, this habit that has an addictive nature to it. Mm -hmm. And it's almost impossible to do in isolation alone with the thoughts in your own head, just like you called it, the monkey mind just circling around. So if you've got those little red flags, it doesn't have to mean your life's falling apart. It can just mean you want something better. I think, listen, I think don't ignore that intuition and that gut feeling um, or that whisper that says, hey, get that free guide or check this out or do something different because uh, who knows what's on the other side of doing that. Yeah. It could change your life. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. And thanks for spending this time. Yeah. Me and the community and we'll have your links in the show notes, but it's sobersys.com. Uh, Check it out. You guys, you will um, be glad you did. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me today. You bet. Take care. Oh, I love that lady. That was so fun and interesting. I hope that you check out the work that Jen's doing with Sober Cysts. And, you know, if it aligns, consider her July 1st reset. We have all her links in the show notes, so check it out. And if you're new to the podcast, um, I just want to let you know I started this with my daughter, Caitlin, who has substance use disorder. She wanted to coin herself as the addict in Zen Mama in the Addict. And if you want to hear our story, you can go back to some of the first episodes uh, I am doing this alone right now as Kate's struggling in relapse, but I have morphed this from just our journey to talking to other people in their recovery journeys, trying to understand what turns the corner of re-embracing your life when you're struggling with any kind of addiction, and also including everyday gurus, people like you and I walking shoulder to shoulder, um, but you know we all have struggle. It's our common denominator, so how do we use that as information, right? To help us inform our journey. What's our turning point? What makes us resilient? Um, you know, what makes us tick and what makes us want to shine our light out? And I think our stories are powerful and that they heal. And I think that we all deserve to live the most true and beautiful version of our lives. And by telling these stories, we can just remind each other of how human we are 
and also how powerful we are and how we have these internal tools we need to tap into. We're all resilient. Sometimes we just need to revive that resilience and sometimes leaning on each other and just having this shared community, I believe, is a powerful way to help us find our way forward. So thanks for being here. A couple things coming up. For me, I am starting a four-week series at Laughing River Yoga. If you're someone that lives in the Burlington, Vermont area, that's going to be on Tuesdays throughout the month of July in the evening. It's for people in recovery or people walking beside it, like myself, um, that need a little reviving of their resilience. Um, But it's again in restorative yoga practice. So gentle yoga, allowing space for your body to heal. And we'll do some meditation and there'll be some optional journal prompts between each one um, if you're interested. And you do not have to go to all four. You can drop into any of them. So laughingriveryoga.com, check that out. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Um, If you want to rate us and give us comments, any of the episodes, please do that. That's so helpful for us to understand um, what's working well and what you're enjoying and what you might want to hear more of. And if you're someone with a story to tell and you'd like to come on the podcast, please reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation. So have the best day ever, you guys. Find something to celebrate. Remember the power of the plants. And we'll see you next time.